Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris, and this week I'm looking for the best book about the rich mm. to help okay, me. Be the rich and the famous, or just just the rich? Uh, yeah, famous, reclusive. That's okay. your choice, Joe. Um, to help us today, to help me today, are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. My name is Joe Holshue. Today's the first day of summer. I'm feeling good. And Nick, if you want to talk about the rich, I have brought the most famous book about the rich ever written. I brought, of course, The Great Gatsby, written in 1925. F. Scott Fitzgerald. And when this is published on June 21st, is that going to be the first day of summer too? That that will make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, you know, the Lidheads understand that podcasts are asynchronous, right? Like, I just want them to know where I'm at today. (laughs) Lidheads, today's the first day of summer. I had champagne for breakfast. I'm like... I'm ready to go. Welcome to our alternate timeline. <laughs> Joe's timeline. Joe yeah, is a high school right. English We're teacher who has three weeks of vacation in the middle of the year. <laughs> Hello, Joe. Hello, Nick. Hello. My name is Dr. Ian DeYoung, but you can call me Elon Musk. Actually, don't. He's gross. I'm a, a very well-to-do high school English teacher. And today, Nick, if you're looking for a book about the rich, I've got the wealthiest book you can imagine. Ooh. Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. This is a listener recommendation, a lithead recommendation. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Um, okay, are we going to get some tips and tricks? Is this, are we going to get some financial advice today, do you think? How to, right? Is this a how-to week? How yeah. to be a crazy rich Asian? How to be a bootlegging trillionaire? Yeah, how to be a Gatsby. How to be he's a Gatsby. He's not a trillionaire, Joe. Uh, Give me his net worth. Well, inflation. His net worth is $400 trillion. You guys... Okay, okay. here's That's... my thought. I have, a, I have a, just a brief little idea to solve the economy. Okay, here it is. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. We talk about this. We talk about that. Taxes, taxes, communism, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. We also talk about inflation. I'm tracking. Right. What if instead of inflation, we talked about funflation? Like oh. make, it, make it fun, and then it's not a bad thing. It's fun. It's funflation. Is inflation not fun already? I think it's pretty. I know it's, fun it's enough. bad. Inflation is bad because then the prices go up. Yeah, but but all of our wages are going up to compensate for that. So I don't see any issues. Oh, are they? I wasn't Inflated aware. I, I wasn't informed of that. You part guys of are it. teachers. You know about how it is to be. <laughs> you know, <just> swimming <laughs> in it. Uh, uh, funflation. Hey, uh, since we're talking about richness and teachers, I recently read a statistic that said in the 1990s. Yes, the 1990s. Okay. Uh, uh, adjunct teachers um, in California. Uh, at uh, California colleges made $19,000 a year, which mm-hmm. in the 1990s wasn't that much. You want to guess how much that's been adjusted for inflation, <laughs> how much more they make now? Oh, no, I don't leave it at that. Guess. I think it'll they make, make zero dollars more. They yeah. still make 19000 a year wow. in 2021. That's unreal. $19,000 a year is 
It's not very much. Like you make no, more. At, you make more at Target for sure. Like you can work at Target and make more. Is that minimum wage? No, it must um, be like. I bet it's like ten it's bucks close. an hour. It's, it's close to minimum wage. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's minimum wage plus perks. <laughs> plus, well, and that's that's the crazy thing. So in the, I'm, I don't want to turn this into a podcast about uh, 1990s wage history, but sure. um, in the 90s, those but, teachers got benefits. Mm-hmm. Today. No benefits. Well, you can't give those lazy teachers benefits. I mean, they have uh-huh. all summer off. Yeah, they have the summers off, Ian. Right. That's the benefit. <laughs> right. <laughs> the benefit. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's about $4,000 a year more than minimum wage. Okay. So you could get, let's see, what could you get with $4,000? Sure. I saw a really Maybe nice that. grill for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get that. Sweet. You scrape by in one of the most expensive states in the union. Uh-huh. And then also you have, you a, have a grill. And you just grill. blow that. You blow it on a grill. That's what I would yep. do. It's but about happiness. That's why I need this financial advice today. So um, welcome, uh, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit, our weekly, or as we call it, Strongly Podcast. Strongly Podcast. Where every week we pick a theme and Joe and Ian bring a book uh, and I get to pick a winner. Um, and, and since we do uh, pick a winner every week, we do have a couple show rules just to keep it fair. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, rule number t- number two, omit needless words, Joe. That one's omit for you. And rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that's important here uh, because we will have a winner. And we don't can't forget our shadow rules. Uh, <laughs> as always, first, what's the big idea? Mm-hmm. Second, how dare you? And third, what's up, hot dog? Right. <laughs> Thank you for those. Um <laughs> Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds and just briefly tell me what your book is about so I can uh, decide who should go first? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Nick, The Great Gatsby, written by F. Scott Fitzgerald, published in 1925, is the original how-to guide on wealthy douchebaggery. I assume that's what you're here for? Uh, Well, it might not be the original, but it's definitely the first one I read. Uh, It's set in the 1920s Gilded Age. It's filled with overt wealth, beautiful women, fast cars, and a crippling dependence on alcohol to have a good time. It's also filled, Nick, with overt lessons. And Nick, the best part, the narrator's name is Nick. Oh, that'll make this a lot easier to understand. I thought you would like that, yes. Yeah. Well, because it's my name. It's your name? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Ian, I think you might as well throw in the towel now. Ooh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ian, on. are you ready Hold for on, this? Hot dog. <laughs> Hold on, hot dog. Nope. Whenever it's my that's turn, I got some socks to blow off of you. <laughs> oh, okay. boy. Um, yeah, I guess, well, it can be your turn now. Okay. The main character of my book is named Nick. He's the only male <laughs> heir of the fabulously no. wealthy young family. No, th- when he brings is... his girlfriend Rachel home to Singapore for the summer, his family conspires to split them up. She's only ABC, which is American-born Chinese after all, and she's not suitable for Nick. In Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asians, published in 2013, we get to navigate through a glamorous, hilarious, and occasionally terrifying world of $40 million weddings, private islands, and a house where everything is made of gold. Wow. I'm suddenly really afraid that there's going to be too many Nicks this week. Like, I think normally we have just enough Nicks on this podcast. Like, one is good. Some would say we we still have too many. (laughs) Um, We're going to have three Nicks this week. That both of you are absolutely not. Okay. I did not realize not. this until Joe Joe had his little little come hither moment, and I was like, "Crap!" We. Both I also Nick. really like the idea that when Ian and I read a book during a week, and we think about what Nick will like, both of us pull out independently. Well, the guy's name is Nick. <laughs> um, I think 
Nickel really like that. Yeah, no, I am just concerned that we might have a tie today, in which nobody mm. likes those. So, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. um, great. Well, I like your characters. They sound fun and smart and handsome, ruggedly handsome and mm. intelligent, Wealthy. and seems like they have everything kind of going for them. Oh, and they're rich. So mm-hmm. these should be really relatable characters. Um, I, uh, I I didn't really listen to you guys. I just was thinking about the characters named Nick. So um, <laughs> uh, Ian, do you want to go first? Oh boy, I would love I would love to go first. Oh great. Um, so this is this book is a uh, a listener recommendation. I'll start with that. Um, and uh, Hannah, uh, thank you for re- recommending this. Hannah's um, the the lit head who who sent us this book and. Her summation of the reasons for this book's greatness are as follows. They're crazy, they're rich, they're Asian. And having read this book, I can confirm all three of those points um, to uh, uh, an order of magnitude. This is also also made into a movie, so that's fun. It's a really good movie, apparently. I didn't see it, but um, supposedly it's just amazing and hilarious and the first, um, the first major Hollywood motion picture since 1993 to have a primarily or entirely Asian cast? Well, Harold and Kumar. Harold and Kumar. I don't think. I'll cut that out. Don't worry. What? That's, that, Harold, what do you mean? <laughs> we don't need to lean into getting canceled, Joe. We are probably... Harold and Kumar are both Asians. Oh, I don't even know if you're allowed to say that. <laughs> um, can, I have a, can I share a fun fact? Uh, yeah, wish you would. Um, my very good friend Russell Wong was in it. He's a photographer. Are you serious? Yeah, I met him taking photos in Japan, and he was in that movie as a photographer. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is a very fun fact. Does, is he in the book though? I didn't. I wasn't sure if he made um, it into the book. Well, they didn't base. The photographers in this book on real photographers. Okay, because he had right. a line. Especially the real photographers that would be in the movie after the book came out. Like, they didn't, yeah. they probably didn't know about Russell yet. Okay. That is cool, though, Nick. It, um, Does uh, that give me so, any cred? Well, cred. you know what? It's close. Probably you inspired Russell to you think? then go on and be a photographer in the film Crazy Rich Asians. Do you think I could great. win this week? Because my name is Nick. And yeah, well, oh, this is my right. thought, Nick. Maybe, maybe, line it maybe, up. maybe as you think about this this episode in the winter, you should think about which Nick do I more want to be like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think Ian should get to set the rules about how you're going to win this week. I'm just suggesting. Like, <laughs> we have two Nicks in front of you, right? We have one right. Nick who is well, my crazy rich Asian. We have another Nick three who Nicks, is a hanger on of Greg, the Great Gatsby. Which Nick is cool to you? Yeah, well, mm. but third Nick, me. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what? You got to be you. you got to be you, dog. Got gotcha you on that uh, one. Can I talk about my book, maybe, please? Yeah, let's I guess guess. do that. Okay, let's get into it. I'm going to start with a game, I think. Ooh. Oh, good. Yeah, that I love might it. be a fun way to, to kick things off. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of borrowing some of this from Joseph in a previous episode um, on the gentleman in, of Moscow. Right. Um, we played a game called Zutalor. Oh, do you remember that? That was game? a good game. It didn't really come to fruition. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's okay. a good game. B- 
basically, and Joe, correct me if I'm off here. Basically, this is this is kind of free association. So mm-hmm. I, st- I I I name a category, and then you guys take turns naming things which match that category without repeating the previous statements. So, for instance, if uh, I said black and white animals that aren't a skunk, then one of you might say zebra, another might say penguin, and so on and so forth. Perfect. That, mm-hmm. that sounds perfect. That's exactly okay. how I. So we're gonna to play. play we're gonna play another round of Zutalor, mm-hmm. and this topic, the topic that you guys are going back and forth on. It sounds like a very rich name. It is. It is. You know what? Like the nothing is more rich. And the, the book really bears this out. Okay. Nothing is more rich than foreign languages, like French, <laughs> mostly French, and French mostly, right? Right. Uh, Ian, since it's the second time we're playing Zutalor, can we call it Zut some more? Yep. Like we. Oh, oh we yeah. must yeah. Zut some more. Zut some more. Which sounds like s'mores is even better. Okay, so let me give you guys a topic, and you're going to have to go back and forth um, and guess, uh, not repeating what the the previous person has has said. Guess what you think this book's overt message about wealth is. Got it. What is this book saying? So this is your topic. What does this book say about wealth and richness and money? Um, Okay. Joe, would you like to start us off? Yeah, because I have the right answer. I'm sh- I'm sure. I believe mm-hmm. that the overt message, one of the overt messages, is that money can't buy happiness. Interesting, jo- uh, Nick. I'm gonna say it can. <laughs> In- interesting. Okay, back to you, Joe. Um, I'm going to say that it the, that that money makes us bad people. Like uh, money no. spoils. Wait, us. it needs to be way more specific than that. Yeah. That's- Oh, okay. Like money, that how? M- money makes us like, sh- like shallow. Like, like, Ooh, like the, good, the, good. the best. Yeah, shallow. Okay. Okay. Nick? I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say a great wealth uh, divides us. Even, even. Ooh, that's uh, yeah. deep. That's almost like uh, art of. Art of War. Dude. Yeah, that's. I think I got that from the Art of War. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> right. Sun Tzu, another crazy rich Asian. Oh, <laughs> I don't think he was rich. Uh, Joe, do you have one more? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go ahead and say that one of the themes of this book is that, like, you could, like, how do I say this? Be careful. Money doesn't buy class. Like, you can have more money, Ooh. but you're not going to be classy. Ooh. Like that's like classiness comes from within. Interesting. Oh, Good. you just called everybody in your book trashy. Interesting. And and uh, one more from you, Nick. <laughs> okay, one more. Um, I am going to say that money, hmm, money is not an, a respectable aspiration. Oh, maybe maybe money is the root of all evil. Could you say that? Is money the root of all evil in your book, Ian? Well, so there is a grain of truth to some of these, but the big... But who's the right one? The big, like, I mean, it doesn't really have a strong overt message, but if there is a strong overt message, it's that money lets you buy really cool, awesome things. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Money can buy you happiness. (laughs) I mean, kind of. I mean, so so let's be clear. There are some people in this book who are very rich and very unhappy. But Mm. for a lot of this book, the book is just unabashed and it's refreshing about how cool it is to have expensive (laughs) stuff. Right. like jet skis okay. are dope. Like, like an yeah. underwater hotel room, really cool. Nothing wrong with capitalism. Fancy clothing is awesome. Good food. Sure. So, uh, there was a review of this of the film that I read, and it called the film, and I think this applies to the book too. 
a luxury fantasy. And I think that's a really good phrase. And I might be an idiot. I might have missed like some subtext, but basically this book has a ton of detailed description of expensive clothing and food and cars and travel and other stuff. And it's just like, this is great. This is awesome. Look, he had such a cool car and he had a, a, a chauffeur to drive it and he had a different car for the weekends and he had a chauffeur for that car. It's a separate there. Here's a here's a house which his family had built and they go there for for um, summer vacations and it has a full time staff all year round, even when they're not there. Wow. These, What's the not clothing. to like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the coolest, craziest, richest thing that happens mm-hmm. in this book? Uh, okay, there is <laughs> there is a like. Part are there where, like jet skis that they ride into boats, and then the boats ride into bigger boats? Which oh, yep. You know, uh, then there's a helicopter that takes off from like, that large that, boat. Yep, good. That takes them to a money party. Um, oh, so, the, okay. So there are there like golden jet skis, right? Oh, like, right, right. Diamond right, encrusted right. speedometers. Is everything diamond encrusted? I did mention one house. A lot of things are diamond encrusted. Yes. Mm, I did mention uh, at the end of my 30 seconds, um, the house where everything is made of gold. And we'll get to that in a bit. That's one thing. Um, it's almost like a almost like a Goldfinger type Bond villain situation there. But I would say the coolest thing is the forty million dollar wedding, which is kind of the, one of the climaxes of the books. Right. The book. Did you say fourteen or forty? Four zero. Wow. Yeah, forty. That's so excessive. It starts, like fourteen is reasonable. I would say the richest the richest thing that happens is during the reception for this forty million dollar wedding, which is by the way held on a private island. In a well, glass obviously. cathedral constructed specifically for this purpose, um, <laughs> they they pay they pay uh, Singapore's biggest pop star to come out of her retirement and dance <laughs> and sing some of her like greatest hits. This is like of course this is like if you if you could pay Sean Connery after sure. he retired, if you could pay him to come to your wedding and do like a skit. Just do like movie quotes, like his famous movie quotes, like yes, be James Bond yes. for a while. Now be the guy in the rock. And like, <laughs> and like the the way this is framed, this this music star has like retired. She is done. But yeah. everyone's like, oh no, that can't be her. No, it is her. And then she like she does it. And, and then she does the um, her dances. Basically, perfect. basically what they buy there, <laughs> what does is, is other people's is a dignity. person. <laughs> not like in, in slavery terms, but just like she had said, I'm retired. And they're like, no, you're not. Well, how much? How oh, much? Everybody. Do you want so that? is the moral that everybody has a price. Everybody, everybody has, has a, price. a price. Yeah. I have some uh, scatterfire questions for you. Yeah, Ian. sure. Love it. Um, okay. In no particular order. Um, is this just a fun romp or is this, are you getting anything out of this book? Next question. Is there any, do you learn, are you learning anything culturally there? Is there any cultural uh, okay. takeaways for, um, uh, in the book? Um, one more question because rules of three. Um, yeah. Is uh, it Are the good? characters admirable? Like, do you like the characters? Are yeah. They are there any, yeah. Are there redeeming characters? Okay. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah, these are these are three kind of I think kind of connected questions. Mm. So I I think I think this this book is very enjoyable and it's not necessarily setting out to like its primary goal 
is to be a fun read. It is yeah. not trying to like make a deep, serious comment on the state of Singaporean politics. Okay. And it's not trying to, like I say, it's not trying to say, wow, isn't money bad? Look okay. at these horrible people. It's not even like trying to be particularly complex uh, psychologically. It's not like your, your swan's way, which is like, let's delve into the deep psychological recesses of this person. It is primarily funny it's like highly satirical it's a romance story and it's like it is definitely like introducing you to a world which i had no idea existed so the author kevin kwan grew up in singapore and kind of experienced some of the stuff that that um that goes on in this book and he looked around the market and said wow all the asian fiction is either historical or about Asian American identity. And he's like, why not just do a book about the crazy rich Asians who live in Singapore and spend $40 million on weddings or who buy private islands and um, go there for vacations? Hmm. How did he write this book? Did he have access to this? Is he also uh, crazy rich? No, I don't think. Well, maybe now he is because of now how he well. is. Yeah, he, sure. he wrote two sequels to this, and there was obviously the movie, and the sequels are getting made into movies. And oh. this was a. Uh, yeah. Crazy uh, do you think Russell will be in those? Can we get Russell Wong? Your can friend. we use the power of this podcast and our legions of fans, our legions of loyal litheads? Oh, can we start a hashtag? Can, can we, we start, start a hashtag? hashtag to get Russell into the sequels, both the second and third one? Hashtag release the Russell cut. God, I love it so much. Oh, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. And you know what? Maybe on the, on the force of this podcast, we could even be have little cameos. Who knows? Yeah, um, I think that makes sense. Like we could be the, the sense, bumbling guys. American tourists who come. go and eat at um, Panda Express thinking it's yeah. uh, authentic Singaporean food. Maybe we um, could be in a, li a library or something. Well, maybe. Anyway, the point the point is um this the book the book is he he is not he's not one of this kind of upper crust, but if you're from Singapore and if you kind of grown, grown up in this milieu, you know how these people work. Like there are gossip columns, there is a thriving sort of journalism industry about like the shenanigans the rich what the rich people are getting up to. There's a whole bunch of of access to this kind of thing. And he was he was kind of he had a foot in this world, so his he based some of the elements of it um on uh, relatives he had and experiences he had. So there's a serious amount of, of authenticity. And the biggest part of this, I'm going to say, is probably the food. Oh, okay. so the food Crazy descriptions food. are incredible. In some ways, this is kind of like a love letter overall to Singaporean culture. And Quan just he revels in these descriptions of food. There are more scenes of people eating in this book than in a Brad Pitt movie. And it's always these amazing sounding snacks or dishes or dessert. I got so much food envy reading this book. Mm -hmm. Made you hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And like made me want to be like, well, I want to cook that. I can't, I, I can't, but I want to. Sure. Um, because I, I'm I don't read have you guys like quote, $10 million okay? for beef. I want to learn Instead more about Brad Pitt's food. Instead of me telling you how good the food descriptions are, I'm going to read you a food description, let you judge for yourself. I'll, okay. let you, I'll give you a little taste. I'm ready. How about that? Tantalize. Tantalize us. Early on in this book, someone says that arguing about food is Singapore's national pastime. Uh, and so here's an example. They, they've, they, the, the, the group, the main characters, have just gone to uh, get food at an open-air market. Uh, a few minutes later, the four of them were seated just outside the main hall. 
under a huge tree strung with yellow lights. Every inch of their table covered with colorful plastic plates piled high with the greatest hits of Singaporean street cuisine. There was the famous char kway teo, a fried omelet with oysters called orhloak, melee rojak salad bursting with chunks of pineapple and cucumber, Hokkien-style noodles and a thick garlicky gravy, a fish cake smoked in coconut leaves called ota-ota, and a hundred sticks of chicken and beef satay. As Rachel tasted the char kway teo, her eyes widened in delight at the rice noodles flash-fried with seafood, egg, and bean sprouts in a dark soy sauce. Why doesn't it ever taste like this at home? Gotta love that burned wok flavor, Nick remarked. I bet you'll love this, Araminta said, handing Rachel a plate of roti paratha. Rachel tore off some of the doughy golden pastry and dipped it into the rich curry sauce. Mmm, heaven. Then it was time for the satay. Rachel bit into the succulent grilled chicken, savoring its smoky sweetness carefully. The rest of them watched her intently. Okay, Nick, you were right. I've never had decent satay until now. I do like burnt wok taste. It's just so, and he's not like, he's not like, he he, he has a clear, a clear sense of, he's doing um, explication. He's introducing a lot of stuff. So he does this a lot where he says, he, he gives the Singaporean name or the Hokkien name or the Malay name, and then he explains what it is. Um, and just like the variety and the, the creativity and the, the, oh, I don't know. It's simple, it's accessible, and it, it always made me hungry. I feel like the word bursting uh, is very evocative for me when it comes to food. Yeah. I don't know why, but the word bursting pineapple or whatever yeah. really worked. Yeah, and it's like you imagine that like tomato in your mouth and it's just like pop. Bursting. Pop. Yeah, it's a very Burst. good good word selection, I would say, Ian. Yeah. Congratulations. If yeah. I were to give my formal given. review... Review. So, um, I, I would say I would say this book is good. Maybe not in the way that it'll teach you something deep about, like the <laughs> <Any>? world. Sure. <laughs> mm, no, I shouldn't say that. Maybe no. not in the way it'll teach you something deep about humanity, but it will open your eyes to uh, a subset of people who are very different, who, who, who interact in very different ways with the world from kind of the Western po point of view in some ways. And in some ways they're very, very recognizable. So a lot of the sort of consumerist mindset is like, absolutely. You, you, we recognize this. Um, this is not, this is not trying to be high art. This is not trying to be Swan's way. This is trying to be fun and engaging and the kind of thing that you want to read again. And you sure. do. I, I I want to read the rest of the books in this series. I want to read. Uh, I want to read this book again at some point because it's just it's it's so much fun. Are there wacky right. situations that they get themselves in? There are so many wacky. Oh, situations. Yeah, I knew. There's I a. Knew there was there's going a. To be, yeah. Let's see. There's a. There's a bachelor party. Um, yeah. the, the kind of central, like I said, the central element of this story is this huge kind of huge society wedding that the most eligible bachelor and the most eligible bachelorette are getting married. And it's a huge kind of coming together of two big families. And so the bachelor party, um, this frat bro puts together the bachelor party and he does a terrible job. The groom, he's like, yeah, okay, we're going to go planet. watch some dog fighting. And the groom doesn't want to oh, do that. God. And they're like, well, huh. I hired some prostitutes and we have cocaine. Mm. Okay, how about gambling for high stakes? And the 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 groom is like, I just I don't I don't want to do any of this criminal stuff. Oh. But the frat bro is like, ah. Oh. But then they they kind of do some shenanigans and they 
they uh, trick the frat bro into thinking that uh, the groom uh, collapsed from too much, I think, too much drugs. And uh-huh. so they life flight him away. But really, it's not a life flight. It's just a helicopter they charter to go just to a charter helicopter peaceful. for a good joke. My fear is that if I ever was crazy rich, mm-hmm. I don't think I could be this creative. Right. Like, how do you spend all this money? This, these schemes, this is crazy. I would just stay at home and stare at my money. Sure. Yeah. Get like, get get a bigger TV, a bigger TV, maybe a bigger TV. These people use, like they use their money and they, this is what I'm saying. Like the book is not trying to necessarily say money is bad or people with money are bad Mm. or wealth is bad. It's like, these people are loving it. Like they really enjoy it. And there are some negative elements. Like I haven't really touched on this. How did they get their money? (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is a, this is a point. So, so some of them, some of them get their money from, uh, kind of, uh, like older family wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, Singapore has in the last 50 years or so become this huge center of just Asian wealth in general. Um, and there are more like, there's some crazy statistic, like there are more, more billionaires per square mile than anywhere else in the world or something like that. So like they should um, spread out some of it's old money, but there's also some new money. So there's a lot of like tech money. Uh, there's a lot of real estate money because Singapore is an Island and small. And sure. so naturally mm-hmm. make, real estate is land. a great place to speculate. Um, and this is, this is kind of a divide, a dividing line. So there are some, some people who make their money in legitimate ways. And there are other people who are kind of looked down upon as lower class, but the book like really makes it clear. It doesn't matter if you made your money in, you know, in, if it's old money, all inherited, or if it's new money from computer chips, there are cool people who are new money and there are crappy people who are new money. And the same thing goes for old money. Yeah. And you know what? It, there, hey. there are cool people who don't have any money. Our main sure. character. So you asked about relevance our main, and like relatability. Our main character is just like a, a normal. She's not wealthy. She she comes from uh, like a, a normal family. Her mom like worked in Chinese restaurants to, to get her to get her a life and to get her through college. And she is kind of our, our main point of view character. We get to see like life from a from a normal person's perspective. And a lot of her amazement at this wealth is our amazement. Tell us about Nick. Um, and then I think yeah, a lot of yeah, yeah. So Nick is, Nick. Nick is a little bit, so like I said, this is a romance pretty, story. Um, pretty it's cool not like a romance or? novel, but it has a strong romance element. Um, Nick is a little bit of your stereotypical romance guy. He's like right. very handsome, Poetry. very charming. Sure. Real um, Romeo. His, he is the only like male heir of this very secretive, extremely wealthy uh, Singapore family. Old money. The young. Sure. It's good. It's good. Would to you be say Nick. would you say he's infallible? No, I would not because <laughs> there's this so there's this cool this awesome. This is one of the cool parts of this book. He has a strange relationship with his family. He grew up there and he kind of takes them for granted in terms of, he doesn't realize how crazy they are. He doesn't. What about and how so rich they he, are? Well, kind of. He, he gets that. He brings, <laughs> he brings his girlfriend, Rachel home. He's like, come on, just, just come home. And she's like, are you sure? Is it okay? I don't know anything about your family. He's like, they're fine. They'll love you. Well, it turns out, most of them don't love her. Most of them think she is trash and they have this whole complex and kind of cruel plot to separate her and Nick. 
Oh, uh, so Nick makes this like cruel shenanigans. Yeah, Nick makes this kind of big mistake throughout the book of downplaying how crazy his family can be. Right. And when they're actually like the crazy in-laws. Like everybody thinks their in-laws are a little crazy, but like these in-laws are actually crazy and actually trying to break them up. Right. Right. Yeah. Going so far as to like dig up dirt on Rachel from her like from her parents. We we get this we get this sense of like Nick is not perfect. He has blind spots related to his family, and that makes him more human, I think. Sounds like a cool, perfect dude. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, Nick was, that was definitely That listening. was my takeaway. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Guys. Nick? I was just about to say, what, what are your favorite sequels? I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Uh Terminator 2, the best sequel of all time, possibly the oh. greatest action movie ever. But I just stumbled across this, which may or may not blow you away. Wait, am I going to have a chance to talk about The Empire Strikes Back, or, or are you going to, like, run with this? I'll probably just steamroll you. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Great. Empire Strikes Back, Nick, go. Silence of the Lambs is a sequel? I mean, kind of. To a, to a 1986 movie called Manhunter? Sure. How do you think kind Hannibal of. got in that cell? Okay. Does it cover that, Joe? I have no idea. I I can only assume. (laughs) (laughs) What are your favorite sequels of all time? Oh, is this Joe already went? No, I'm trying to steamroll you, Joe. So you're good there. Uh, And (laughs) Ian, what was yours? My favorite sequel of all time is Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. Right, it's right. A joke okay. about the word sequel. Right. Well, that's like saying your favorite band is the Beatles, right? Like everybody's that's, favorite no, band right. is the Beatles. You have to almost exclude Alvin the El- and the, the Chipmunks. Squeakle. You know what yeah, I mean? Okay. 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 Besides Alvin and the Chipmunks. Besides Alvin and the Chipmunks. I would have to say my my uh, my second favorite sequel right. after your the second is uh, the Marvelous Land of Oz, illustrated by John R. Neal, written by L. Frank Baum, which is a follow up to. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. I, too, Nick, have an unlikely sequel. Um, I, my favorite sequel of all time is probably The Empire Strikes Back. But my favorite book sequel of all time um, has, do you know how, like, at the end of Willy Wonka, they're up, like, they're riding up in the elevator and they're seeing everything. And, and, like, it's this, like, really beautiful moment where they're sailing over London. Well, what if I do. that elevator accidentally went into orbit and docked at the space hotel. Right, that, right. That is the premise of one of the weirder sequels that I've read, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, the sequel to Willy Wonka, written by Roald Dahl, 1972. Um, it's a weird one. Uh, Hey, Joseph. Joseph, hey, Nick, pa- Nick. paging Joseph, get out of oh, that wait. big money pit and tell us about yep. your book. Well, oh, wait. sorry. The money pit question leads me to, I want to ask you guys one thing about wealth. Okay. okay. Is it how much money we have? Because it's Yeah, give me a dollars and cents. No. <laughs> Is this I'm, before I'm, or after the podcast empire? Like, <laughs> do I include that? Mm-hmm. There is a cartoon character who's named in whose name is Scrooge MacDuck. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this fellow? Yeah, he uh, made his Sean money Connery's off of... Sean Connery's a big fan. Oh, that's... Okay. Sean Connery's a fan. I'm going to go with... Uh, yeah, he made his money off of the McDonald's empire, correct? Correct. Both of you are correct. You win mm-hmm. an extra dollar. So he has a thing where he dives into a pit of money, apparently. Right. A pit of gold. And the, the, the internet tells me that that would, like, break your neck. Yeah, but let you me did, ask you guys you this. Mm-hmm. What'd you do? Is it worth it? <laughs> if you had a pit of gold... <laughs> 
is it, would, would you try just like because the possibility is if if you don't die, you just dove into a and swam around in a pit of your own gold, which is awesome. Sure. Is that worth right. it? Would you do it? Um, How, I would break a bone for sure okay. to have a pit of money, right, but like yeah. not my arm. neck. Yeah, neck's pretty fine. Wait, and when we say a pit, like Scrooge McDuck, let's be clear, from the cartoons that I remember, yeah. he has like a tower of money. It's right. like a it's like a 12-story high-rise in his backyard filled to the top with money. Right. With nothing but a de- a, presumably an elevator um, and a stair and a diving board. Yeah, or stairs. Maybe that's how he got his exercise. We don't Scrooge know. Scrooge McDuck is not walking up 12 stories of <laughs> okay. stairs. Maybe he had a helicopter. There is an elevator. Also, he's a duck. Maybe he flies. Fuck. Um, I don't think I answered the question, though. Uh, it seems dangerous. I think I would maybe like, like, maybe I would like walk into it and then like roll around in it. Is it coins? Is all of my money in coins? Joe, can you tell us about your book? Okay. Hey, Nick, I'm going to talk about the book that's been probably <laughs> talked about more than any book in history. Um, that's not called the Bible. Uh, um, <laughs> Nick, I, uh, you know, we don't always start with what, uh, what are they called? Books. Oh boy. First day of summer and I don't know what they're called anymore. Books. Appendix. <laughs> Books. Books. Podcasts. Uh, Nick, do you remember Russell, Russell Wong L charts? Like, Russell Brand. What do you know? What do you want to look, know? What did you learn? That sort of thing. KWO, yes. Okay, Nick, what do you already know oh, okay. about The Great Gatsby? Because I feel like that is really going to cut down on my time. Could we could we call these YDKL charts? Oh, of course we should. How have we not done that before? So it'd be, what do you know? What do you want? What do what you, you- what do, yeah, you, what do you, me, know? Nick? Maybe what don't? That's the D. What don't yeah. you know? Don't. Okay. And then back to you. What do you know? Yep. For the what, K. what do you know now? And what did you learn? That's I'm good. A this is all coming together very nicely. I know. It, I have not read this book. So I hope you're sitting down for that one. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, I have seen the movie, and it was not good. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming the book is better. The, sure. the one with Leonardo you, you, DiCaprio. The Leonardo DiCaprio, Baz Luhrmann movie. Mm-hmm. I watched mm-hmm. that with my students and they primarily yelled about how Leo doesn't keep his accent. And I was like, yes. Oh, oh he does Welcome doesn't? to Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't want to really rip on Leo. Yeah, no, he, Leo's great. We love him. Leo, yeah. we love you. He just can't do an accent to save his life. Anyway. And soon he'll be dead and he'll be a fan of the show. Big fan of the show. He is kind of, well, I, we, let's not talk about Leo. Um, okay, so you saw a movie. You haven't read the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? <laughs> I like how that's what you know about it. It seems <laughs> like it's just a big it? wacky adventure. It seems like crazy rich people in a different country. Okay, in like well, 19, um, 1920s New York. Is that? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 1920s New All York. Right. So that's, um, that's pretty much, I think, what everybody knows about this book if they haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, okay, let me ask so, you this. What do you okay. think the main character's name is? Oh. I think it's Nick. Nick. It's, it's not really Nick. close. Nicholas? So the narrator's name is Nick. And the narrator isn't really the main character. Like, he is in every single scene. We get it through his point of view almost entirely. Um, but But the... Yeah, the main character's name is Jay Gatsby. The Great Gatsby. Tell me what this book is about, because I want to I wanna 
I want to be able to tell people that I know what this book is about. This sure, is like definitely a I book I should have read. Of course, <laughs> I know about the Great Gatsby. I'm not of an idiot. Not an it's not, idiot. Um, it's that. It's that uh, flexing. Like we like we talked about with Swan's Way. Oh yeah, as the Great Gatsby said. Sure. Mm-hmm. To quote the Great Gatsby, <laughs> whose main character's <laughs> name is Jay. <laughs> Who's narrated by Nick. <laughs> So what happens in the Great Gatsby is pretty much. There is this really wealthy dude named Jay Gatsby who's really mysterious, but is famous for throwing dope, dope parties. Okay. Okay. And when you say dope, do you mean cocaine? He means dang. Um, like, like there, I think there's an implication of like of some maybe drug use. It's it's mostly alcohol. So maybe like hooch hooch parties is is what he throws. Great. That's a good phrase. Right. Famous mm-hmm. phrase, hooch parties. Um, so Jay Gatsby kind of mysterious trillionaire, probably millionaire, uh, mysterious millionaire is famous for throwing, well, for A, being mysterious, and then B, throwing like these crazy, crazy parties. Nick Carraway moves into his front lawn, basically, like kind of the guest house or like this shabby little shack next door, and he gets to know Jay Gatsby gets to know the great Gatsby and he learns that the main reason Gatsby is throwing these parties is to impress wait for it wait for it waiting Nick to impress a woman yeah that's that makes sense that's what I'd do yeah my wife good thank you for clarifying (laughs) Joe's got trick trick questions today. <laughs> <laughs> secretly this is all a test of nick's fidelity right. it's been a long con this is an elaborate 110 books the long game it. pays off <laughs> okay so nick do you know how like ian's book is all about like the glamour and the glitz and there's not really that many overt messages in it it's just yeah kind of almost like this, none very awful. almost no overt yeah. messages so my book is the exact opposite of mm. that. Uh, there's glitz and Sounds glamour. Fun. I I don't want you to think that. Like I don't want you to think there is not glitz. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think there's not wealth. But there's also really just a lot of lessons to take okay. away here. So we could talk about the wealth, or we can talk about the lessons, or we can talk about both. Why don't you bang the plot out real quick? Plot and premise. Why don't yep. you pp on us, Joe? Okay, pp on us. <sighs> it's been uh. fun. All right, Jay Gatsby throws parties to impress a girl uh, and it works. Uh, the problem is, is that girl has a husband who's like kind of a big alpha male douchebag. Um, and there's all sorts of <laughs> tension word is between really being like used a lot. Yeah, it's 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 hard. Really crude. Yeah. OK, who's a big alpha male bro like brosif? It's not really the same all implication, all though. All all right. He's a big bro. Um, how about jerk? Yeah, he's a jerk. Ooh. He's a big jerk. Okay. Right? So, Jay Gatsby throws parties to impress an ex-girlfriend. It works. She dates him, and there ends up being, like, this little love triangle between Jay Gatsby, newly minted millionaire and party tycoon, um, Daisy, his ex-girlfriend and kind of current girlfriend, and Tom, who is mm-hmm. the jerk that we spoke of. Uh, things come to a head, and like everybody ends up unhappy. Oh, <laughs> okay. Really fell off at the end there. I will say, uh, I thought we were I will building say towards Joe something. Joe is doing a good job not spoiling it because okay. <laughs> so, are there some plot points that um, ends up ends up unhappy is a is a is a good way to describe all the 
stuff that hits the fan. Right. Like, like varying levels of unhappiness. Right. There could be better words, but it doesn't matter. We'll go with unhappy. This seems like a book that is pretty unrelatable. That's how I felt watching the movie. It was like, okay, I cool. They're rich. Oh, is, is like money can't buy happiness. Is that, I guess let's bang out these morals, huh? What are the, what are the lessons here? Let's just get through. Well, you've hit is one, it like the game that we just played earlier? That was um, basically we just listed all the the negatives to having lots of wealth. Yeah, like like everything that I guessed earlier was just taken off my own okay. list of overlaps. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> yeah, nice. Well, so like, <laughs> Joe had notes before that improv session. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, yeah, like like money can't buy happiness is absolutely one of them, and maybe it's a little more accurate to say like you can't buy everything with money although it's been established that you can like force a pop star to come out of retirement and buy somebody's dignity with it right Uh, that fictional book that we read nick are you familiar with the phrase gilded age the gilded age i am not so the idea of something being gilded or an age being gilded is that it's very beautiful on the outside but on the inside is worthless right like when you would gild something i think it you would literally cover it in gold like you would dip it in gold or maybe do like a foil or something like that. And then like you would you would take the inside out and throw it in the trash. Oh, is that true? Like so it's no, not No, like but that's took- kind of like what the gilded age implies, right? There's you you yeah. it's like um it's like a wax mold. You yeah. you cover the outside and then it's hollow on the inside. Sure. There's nothing there's nothing of substance on the inside. Well, Nick, this book is filled with characters who are gilded. They are incredibly beautiful. They are incredibly wealthy. They have the coolest cars. They do the coolest stuff, but they are all um, just about to to the letter kind of, I don't know about awful people. They're, they're, they're pretty awful. How are they awful, Joe? Give me examples. What do they do? They like kick puppies. Do they uh, throw the poor into their pit of money and watch their necks break? What do they do? Ooh, that, uh, now that would be pretty bad. That would be real bad. They do not um, like throw people into a pit of money and break their necks. However, there are poor people that are definitely used for entertainment and who definitely get like mm-hmm. um, end up with like the worst end of the deal. Like right. whose lives are ruined by these wealthy kind of um, ne'er-do-wells. How do they get their money, Joe? Oil? Yeah, it it varies a lot. Um, our main character, you know, our, Tom and Daisy are kind of this this old money. You know, they just have money. It's not really discussed how they get their money because that would be, of course, gauche. Like, yeah, you don't you talk about how parents. you get your money. You got it from their um, parents. Jay Gatsby also doesn't <laughs> really talk about getting his money, but uh, that's mostly because it's illegal how he gets his money. Um, Jay Gatsby is a bootlegger. This is set during Prohibition. He has made a tremendous amount of money bootlegging um, huh. and, th- and through other, like, kind of nefarious deeds um so he's throwing parties to uh, it literally it's all for one woman it's literally for this girl that he used okay. to date is the over is one of the overt lessons to just talk to her dude not really <laughs> because it kind of works be such an incel dude <laughs> Why is there a narrator? I think that's interesting. Yeah, it is, it is actually kind of weird that there's a narrator. Um, right. Nick is just this dude that 
lives in his front lawn who like, he is, I, I, I don't even know what to say about him. He's like a little bit quiet. He's a little bit shy. We get the sense that he's like visiting. Wait, he, he's a character in the story as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, like, he's okay. Like, so it's not like a, a third party narrator. No, no. His name is Nick and he's like, he's just like hanging out with Gatsby. Wouldn't you say that's just from his point of view then the book? Not to get into like story writing or, you know. Yeah, not no, to get into really like good. things like unreliable narrators and things like that. Is there a word yeah. for that? Like, yes. does he know more than what his character should know? No. Well, no, no. He's, yeah, it's, it's the unreliable narrator. Yeah. So. Okay. So Nick Carraway is this unreliable narrator. And he's this guy. We see the whole thing through his point of view. He really likes Jay Gatsby. Like he meets Jay Gatsby and he thinks Jay Gatsby is really, really cool. And from like an outside point of view, it's kind of hard to tell how cool Jay Gatsby is. Like he's, I don't know, does like, he's, he's a bootlegger. He um, like sets up these elaborate traps or these elaborate parties to like meet this woman. Uh, But Jay Gatsby doesn't mind. He thinks Jay Gatsby, I'm sorry, Nick Carraway doesn't mind. He thinks Jay Gatsby is okay. Okay. So, um, does the, so there, uh, I'm sorry. I just find this more fascinating than the, the plot of the book. So is there, now go he, for it. when you say unreliable narrator, is that, does that mean there's not an explanation for why he can know the things outside of his character's perspective? He doesn't know the things outside of his character's oh, perspective, he Okay, but everything that we see is through his eyes. And like through his, his bias, for example, and like mm, everything we see okay. is interpreted through his, how he feels about the situation is that the or how he of, remembers the situation. Is that the meaning of unreliable then? It has a bias. Uh, unreliable is basically when we see a world through a narrator's eyes and we don't necessarily know if we can believe what he's telling us, or we don't believe, know if we're getting the full truth from what he's telling us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. It's like like the the other alternative is a narrator who we trust, um, someone who is omniscient, and we're like, oh yeah, totally. Like because this person is saying, um, then John thought I would like to drive that car. We know that's what John is thinking. But the unreliable narrator, maybe, um, maybe they're telling us the truth, or maybe they're kind of shaping things consciously or unconsciously to make them look better or to make John look worse. Or any number of things. So it's it's really unreliable as compared to your kind of standard, classic, straightforward narration. I love it. Joe, what did you like about this book? Did you like it at all? Uh, well, I have, uh, as Ian has done, I would imagine. Ian, do you ever teach this or no? I teach it every year. And yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It, this is my favorite thing about this book. We teach to high schoolers every year, right? And like the kind of the, tra- you know, Freshman year in high school, everybody reads Romeo and Juliet. But I feel like before you get through high school, usually like junior, senior year, what level do you teach it to, Ian? Um, I teach it to like a sophomore level. Yeah, I I think that's where it is at our school, too, is like sophomores read The Great Gatsby. Um, We it's kind of like this touchstone, right? Like this thing that everybody reads before they leave high school. When high schoolers read it, there's like, there's all sorts of like literary stuff and all sorts of symbolism and like all sorts of things like Englishy things to talk about in this book and that I'm, I'm really not going to get into it all here. Um, but 
one of the things that always strikes me about this book is you're introduced to it in high school, but like so many great books, I feel like it doesn't really hit correctly. Maybe not, maybe correctly is not the word. I feel like as you get older and you read the great Gatsby, it hits a little bit different, right? Like it's, it's a book that's like flashy and like has lessons overt and otherwise, but it's also a book about like what it means to have lost something and like the pain of the past, right? Like, like there's this big question in the middle of the book. Like Gatsby has all the money in the world. He has all the toys. He has all the cool stuff. And he even kind of gets his girl back, right? But it's really not the same. And it's really not how he remembers it, right? And he's like trying to capture this this past. He's trying to capture this feeling. And one of the, I mean, one of the downers in this book is it's like, oh yeah, you can have all the money in the world and you cannot get the past back. Like that, that's not how it works. I think it, okay. So I read this book when I was younger and I had no time for it. It was was like, whatever I think. So, so without being a spoiler, like Joe mentioned he's, he's got like the X. He's trying to get his mm-hmm. X back. And I think until, ah, until you've like really, really been attached to someone and lost them, mm-hmm. or you have something in your life that you felt was like completing you and then you lost it. It's not going to hit the same way. Like that's, oh, that's may I like, please. Yeah, please. Used to play rock band a lot in you know when we were younger, and then we tried to play it again. Maybe like two or three years ago, two years ago. Nah, now, no, nope, yeah. not fun. Just not weird and fun lame. Anymore. Just weird and lame, <laughs> and pretty creepy. Can I talk about word roots for just like a second? Yeah, any type of roots, Joe. All right, it's gardening the, season. The roots for nostalgia come from two words, right? Um, one is nostos, which is like this Greek word meaning homecoming. And the other one uh, is like algos or algia, and it means pain. So when you actually look at like what nostalgia means, it's not this beautiful feeling that we have of like being younger. It's like the pain of remembrance or the right. pain of coming home. Re- revisiting. Uh, uh, re- revisiting, yeah, right? Returning. Like, when you go back to your hometown and you know, Oh, well that used to be a hardware store and now it's a storage unit or whatever, or that's the field that I used to play in. And now it's a shopping mall, right? Like things like that suck. And when you're a (laughs) sophomore in high school, you don't have that much stuff like that in your life. When you are a 35 year old English teacher, when you (laughs) are an adult, like you do have stuff like that. Like there's times I look back at in my life and I think, Jesus, that was nice. And I kind of wish I could go back to it. Rock band. Rock band. You're a rock band. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You don't wish, you don't wish like, maybe you do, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to dust off the old guitar and the rock pads. It's like, I, I wish I was there again. Right. I don't want to yeah. I don't want to go back to that ice cream parlor as 35-year-old me. I want to be 16-year-old yeah. me at that ice cream parlor. So Nick, I I really don't know what to say about the Great Gatsby. It's wealth, yes, but the wealth is just like this hollow trap and it doesn't make anybody happy and it's just people trying to capture like this nice feeling that they used to have and everybody ends up sad. Cool. That sounds great, Joe. Do you um is it a well-written book? 
Why why is this book so popular? It's well, it's popular because it's it's beautifully written. Um, I guess that's one piece of it. It's also really, really teachable. Like there's a lot mm. of there, there's a lot of like Englishy stuff to talk about in this book, like author craft style, like the stuff that we very seldom get into on this show, but that um, your high school English class is just filled with. Just thrive on. <laughs> just, yeah, high school English teachers breathe this shit. Um, <laughs> uh, wh- who's the author? A guy oh. named F. Scott Fitzgerald. Francis. Yeah, what do we know? What do we know about this Scott? Um, I I guess I don't know a ton about him. I know he, he was, was like, um he was yeah. related to the guy who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, Francis Scott okay. Key, right? Good. Yep. Yep, that's good. Um, I believe he was like one of these writers who was you know, there's a lot of writers who kind of write in obscurity until they die, and then they kind of become celebrated after the fact. Um that it was not F. Scott Fitzgerald. Like F. Scott Fitzgerald was like a celebrity writer during his time. And a lot of people read like his glimpse into the rich and famous. Um, sounds kind of like Ian's book. We're like, this is a world that he definitely had a foot in. Not this ostentatious wealth, right? Like I think he actually kind of lived a little bit hand to mouth, um, you know, writing book after book after book. But like, he definitely was like hobnobbing with these people and like hobnobbing at these parties. Hobnobbing. Mm. What's that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I, I always picture when I think of hobnobbing, I always picture like pigs in tuxedos holding champagne flutes like elbowing <laughs> each other gently in the ribs uh, why, why is that well. not why is that not the cover image for our podcast a <laughs> couple of pigs but with human faces um i'll i'll just add um i won't give you we, we teach we teach fitzgerald and we I, I could give you the whole rundown but i'll add two things um his his wife Zelda, he had a very a, a kind of a fraught relationship with her. Um, yeah, uh, and he treated her pretty poorly. Uh, she ended up dying in a. There's there's an idea that she was largely responsible for his his success as a writer, and she ended up dying in a mental hospital. I think in a fire. Um, oh, and, Jesus and Christ! It was not. It was not great. <laughs> the other thing is that he always wanted to be wealthy. Like he did not come. He didn't have like a huge amount of old wealth. He just wanted to be, and he lived during the twenties, during the roaring twenties, a wealthy lifestyle. And so a lot of this kind of, it's kind of wish fulfillment, but it's also really interesting that that Fitzgerald is like, boy, I sure would love to be rich and have a a fancy lifestyle. And also here's a a story about how people can't be satisfied with wealth and everything is hollow and miserable at the end. But it doesn't make us not want it. Ian, you lose. I should really read The Great Gatsby. Oh, man. (laughs) It seems like that one. I read something interesting. When did this, when was your book written, Joe? 1925, it was published. I don't know where I picked this up, but it was on the internet, I'm sure. Um, It was saying just about how how things stick around and like how long things last and um, I don't know, just like stickiness just in general, I suppose. And basically the, the premise is that well, how long has it been out? It'll probably be relevant and popular for that same amount of time into the future. 
Right. So if like the Great Gatsby's been out for a hundred years. It's probably going to be relevant for another hundred years. Yeah. Wow. But that, but that can't like, wait, wait. I, I have no follow-ups That's to- That's a huge logical fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> I like That's it so though. We'd like to ask some questions. You know, I would pick yours, Ian, but like, like I don't know, like, like Russell's in the movies and he wasn't in the books. And it's like, well, I mean, maybe if the sequels come out and he wrote in Russell, you know, then we can talk. But like, I got to support those movies, not the books. You know what I'm saying, Ian? I, I don't. That's pure drivel. Litheads, if you would like to uh, support our podcast, unlike Nick supporting this book, um, please go ahead and uh, check out our social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at You Don't Know Lit. You can suggest a book or suggest a theme, and Nick will choose to ignore uh, my selling of that book so that um, that's how it works. Uh, you can also head on over to you don't know litpodcast.com and suggest a book or a theme there. Uh, we thrive on your um, your input, even though it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. <laughs> Uh, just to be clear, the Lithead submissions aren't always going to win, okay? They are recommendations, not endorsements. So, Lidheads, Nick hates you. We love you. Ian and I are your biggest fans, but Nick. Oh, yeah. Hey. That's one other thing. I probably would not have read this book if it weren't for a submission, and I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. So, there's that, too. You guys make it weird. <laughs> you made it weird. <laughs> All right, Nick. There's a lot of famous quotes from The Great Gatsby. I have a very short one. Um, and it's, it, is, it, is, um, it is how Nick, who you know has your name, it is how Nick describes Jay Gatsby when he, meet him, when he meets him. And I always think this is a nice way to be described by somebody. He says, he smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with the quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced, or or seemed to face, the whole eternal world for an instant and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you just as far as you wanted to be understood. It believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and it assured you that it had precisely the impression of you that you, at your best, hoped to convey. (laughs) 